Hello and welcome to the Marysville Church of Christ podcast. This is a special interview with Jesse Davis. I'm Bishop Darby and I'll be your host today. A couple of days ago, we had our, I guess, year-ending culminating project, a presentation, a symposium on nonviolence and its Christian perspective, where Jesse Davis led a quite persuasive, very well-researched defense of the idea of Christian pacifism and nonviolence. If you have not listened to that, go ahead and stop this podcast right here and go to the podcast directly above it, where you can listen to his entire symposium. It's about 30 minutes, and it'll really challenge and change a lot of your perspectives on Christian nonviolence. But today we're going to respond to some of the questions that have been coming in over the last couple of days. So, uh, Jesse, let's start by asking this. How are you today? I'm pretty all right. Pretty all right. Yeah. <laughs> Put it simply. I uh I'd imagine that you're feeling a lot better now that the symposium is behind you. Uh yeah, I think it went pretty well. I'm pretty happy with uh the results and I'm pretty happy to get to do a lot of follow up and uh you know, work with a lot of the ideas that were put out there. Yeah, several hundred people so far have listened in and we've gotten a total of seventy seven questions that have made their way in. Um, on the ideas of Christian nonviolence and pacifism. Obviously, we're not going to address all 70-something of them right now. We're only going to take a handful, and over this podcast and maybe one other next week, we'll kind of unpack a lot of the questions that have been asked. To put simply, the entire idea of Christian non-pacifism, as was um, portrayed last week, comes down to this. God values all people infinitely, revealing that in the moment of the cross, where he was willing to die for all people. Thus, Christians are responsible and required to love and value all infinitely, and you can't do that in acts of violence. The first question that kind of came in in response to your symposium was a very good one. If this is true, Jesse, why have Christians been so violent in the past? I mean, the reality is nine crusades, not including the children's crusade. There have been inquisitions, persecutions, and killings. Christians have often stood for and in the military, been supportive of nationalistic ideologies, and a lot of a lot of responsibility for war. If it's true, Jesse, that Christ is commanding all of us to be nonviolent and to live in nonviolence, why has historically Christians been so violent? You know, that's a question I ask myself a lot of the time. Um, but if I had to give my two cents on it, it's because Christianity went from a belief in love and support and a care for humanity, a selfless nature, and it turned into a structure of power. It turned into a structure that had involvement and roles in the government. Um, it abandoned its own teachings in favor of um, gathering power and control over people. Um, we've fallen into a mentality of, well, if I do these things, I will be righteous and I will be more righteous than this person or this person, or because I sin less, I'm better than this person, uh, or this person is a sinner. So they are different than me. Uh, and we've fallen out of the, uh, you know, all for one kind of, we are all one mentality, uh, that a lot of the early church fathers had. 
Um, and so once we start making those divides, uh, it's very easy to create this us versus them mentality and try to assert our control over them because at the end of the day, a lot of Christians think, well, we know better. We know the truth, so we need to you know, push that on people, but that's not at all what Jesus ever did or would have ever encouraged us to do. Um, it's a far cry from the, um, the we are not a kingdom of the world mentality from John 18, right, where Jesus says very clearly, my kingdom is not of this world. And you can tell because look at the kingdoms of the world and then look at my people. They don't do the same things. In many ways, I think the church has stopped looking as a distinct kingdom from the world and started aligning with and supporting the kingdoms of the world, which is directly in contrast, you're right, to what God commanded. Yeah, um, and I think also it came along when the idea of being Christian became secondary. You know, I'm a Christian, but I'm also, you know, an American. I'm a Christian, but I'm also, um, you know, whatever my job is, you know, whatever I do in my life. And we let Christians become a piece of our life hmm. instead of letting it be the deciding factor of our life, what was leading us, what was guiding us. Um, and it's be- almost like yeah. the Christian adjective, right? Yeah. Like I am an American and a Christian. I am a – the Christian nuances the American mm-hmm. rather than the American being nuanced by the Christian. I think that's that's a problem that we have. Um, and to your point, if we start living with the ideology of Christianity – then we're going to start valuing people as we should, as Christ does. But when we start valuing people through our lens of Americanism or Republicanism or Democrat or whatever, then we start devaluing people because our Christian value system is being supplanted by our American value system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like to take pieces of Christianity and be like, well, I'm a Christian and this is, you know, there's a lot of things I believe for Christianity. I'm an American. I believe these things for American, you know, being an American or a Republican or a Democrat. Um, and, we, you know, we take pieces of what we like. We really focus on pieces of Christianity and follow some commands, you know, and kind of ignore others because it doesn't line up with our, you know, um, national identity or my workplace identity or, you know, my hobbies identity. Uh, and we forget that all of Christianity is supposed to be our identity. All of what Jesus said is supposed to be our identity. Uh, our identity is supposed to be in Jesus Christ and him alone and in nothing else. Um, and because we've lost sight of that, we've allowed ourselves to support and not just support, but encourage and partake in things that Jesus told us not to, such as violence and war and death. I think part of the reason, too, is is because we have a broken view of who God is. If God is a violent, wrathful, and vindictive person, well, then guess what? We, his people, are going to look wrathful and vindictive and hateful as well. Um, Another question that came in that I think kind of ties to this point is, Jesse, what do you think about penal substitution? The idea of penal substitution is the most common uh, evangelical view of what happened on the cross. It goes something like this. Penal, meaning the penalty of, and substitution, Jesus took the penalty of our sin. It, uh, it kind of is a picture that God had this wrath that he had to exert against sin because of his holiness. He had to, to destroy sin, right? And so as he loaded his gun of judgment and got ready to fire the bullet of wrath towards humanity, Jesus Christ jumped in front of it, taking our sin and our punishment. That's the idea of penal substitution. What do you think about that, and how do you think it shaped this conversation of Christian nonviolence? Well, I think with that perspective, we've created a very strong um, idea that God is 
judgmental and wrathful and that God has to let out his wrath and kill things, which one I feel confines God. It limits God. Um, it makes some external force that's controlling God, which is not at the end of the day what any of us would ever admit to believe, but that's what that view does. Um, but it, more importantly, it makes God wrathful. It makes God judgmental. It also makes a very clear distinction between who God is and who Jesus is, um, which then allows us to forget that Jesus is the purest image of God, not a different, complete entity that God, Jesus is the merciful, but God is the wrathful. No, they're both the same individual and they are both the merciful. Um, this theory, this idea lets us excuse wrath, excuse um, violence because, oh, well, God had to, so I have to as well. Um, but that's not really the case. Uh, as we see in the Bible, whenever sin is talked about, uh, sin is death. Um, is said a lot of the times, and because of that, we can realize that sin is a self-destructive force. Sin will inevitably destroy itself and all things it's attached to, which unfortunately is, you know, the sinners as well. Um, and so I think more accurately what we can see that Jesus did was not jump in front of God's loaded bullet of wrath, but took the self-destroying sin of everybody else and put it on his shoulders so that when it was destroyed, it only destroyed him, not us. That we may walk free because he let it destroy himself. And that is a belief of mercy and love. Um, and is one that gives us a better picture of God in comparison to the life that Jesus lived. It fits more accurately with the picture of who Jesus was. Um, because if Jesus is merciful and good, then God must also be merciful and good. Therefore, if we have... Um, a wrathful God, then Jesus must have been wrathful, and a wrathful Jesus would not have jumped in front of a bullet of wrath. Um, so a idea of Jesus taking on the self-destructive sin is far more accurately lines up with the character of Jesus, um, but it also adds more beauty to the idea that he came back. He was not defeated by sin or death. He took it all upon himself, let it all be destroyed, and still rose again, uh, our triumphant Savior. Uh, and that is the beauty and truth of Jesus, and that really doesn't stand as as beautiful when he jumped in front of God's bullet of wrath and just you know somehow also lived. Um, yeah, these, this idea that you're discussing has a fancy Latin title entitled Christus Victor, and it's a it's a very old view of atonement, actually one of the oldest we have, and I think uh, I think it does it does change the view, doesn't it? Instead of Jesus being the recipient of God's wrath, God's violence, rather he was the one who kind of saved us from the jaws of defeat. He took the curse that was going to destroy us by becoming the curse himself, to use Paul's language in Galatians 3. Let me ask you this, though. Do you think today that that view of atonement, the view of the wrathful God uh, exacting his punishment against sinners, do you really think that that changes the Christian's perspective of violence? Well, yes. Uh, 100% because if God exacts his wrath on the wicked, uh, on the sinners, um, then as a follower of God, I am to do the same. I am to punish the wicked, to stand against the sinners, to condemn those who would um, bring about sin in this world. I am to unleash the wrath of holy judgment just as God did uh, because we are to follow in God's example. And... 
you know, if that was the case, then yeah, that would be the case. But that's not the truth. Um, that's not who we see Jesus is. Um, and so I think that view encourages violence. It encourages this idea of I'm better than you. I have the right understanding. But we know that um, that's not our place. Hmm. And that's not what we are called to do. And that's not who God or Jesus is. Uh, and for us to think, I know better, I you know, must uh, judge the wicked and punish the sinful, um, is exactly the idea that God is where we are. Uh, and it, you know, makes us just as, uh, which we already are, but it makes us just as wicked as the people that we think are so wicked. Mm. Um, and I know a lot of people listening are going to think, well, yeah, that is bad. Um, luckily, I don't do that. Yeah. Um, I would never, you know, do that. But the idea of I am going to hurt someone who is hurting people I care about is the same idea of I know better. I get to exact my wrath and my, or, you know, you can disguise it as protection, but my truth, my judgment, that because you are hurting people I care about, I am allowed to hurt you. And that is the idea that I know better. I think that this is the right way to go, and so I will judge you and hurt you because you have committed some wrong against people I love. Um, but that is this us versus them mentality that's gotten us here. Um Jesus calls us to not resist an evildoer, to not hurt them. And we, the only thing we can do is be what Jesus was, be the one who stands uh, before death and lets no one else be hurt by it because we will be hurt by it. Hmm. I cannot hurt an evildoer, but I can let them do evil to me instead. Hmm. Um, and that is the only thing we can do at the end of the day. Um, because that evildoer is no no less than the very people I'm trying to protect. Uh, it's that twisted mentality that has gotten us here and led to a lot of the violence and issues that we have today. You know, over the next uh, the next podcast, we're going to have a lot of questions diving into some of the, like, the practical questions people have. You know, the classic ones that um, you're going to get asked. You know, if someone breaks into my house and threatens my family, are you really not going to do anything? And those kind of things. So next podcast, we'll kind of address those. But I do kind of want to touch base on something you said in a question that was asked. The question was, so how do we change things if we're not going to use violence? Because, as the question states, violence is the most effective way to make change. You're really going to tell me, Jesse, that pacifism, that nonviolence can actually change things? Yes. And how exactly would you suggest that we use nonviolence to change things? Well, I think that to say that violence is the most effective means is very short-sighted to start. Um, violence is not the most effective means because violence has never stopped violence. Hmm. You look at wars and things, you say, well, because we did this, violence was over. Um, because we did this, the war ended. But we fail to realize the larger picture that because we used violence, violence just continued. Mm -hmm. People continued to die. War continued to begin, and more wars became from it. Um, violence is a short-term solution. It's a temporary answer. Uh, and so, no, I would never encourage us to use violence uh, to change things. And you ask, what do we do instead? Um, which I think is 
a very interesting question to get because it's very clear what we're supposed to do. Uh, we're given that answer from Jesus himself when he says, love your neighbor, um, care for them. Um, we are called to, you know, and love your enemy. We are called to care for people, to clothe the homeless, to feed the hungry, uh, to give drinks to the thirsty. We are called to be healers and helpers. We are called to support and care for. Um, and so that is what we're supposed to do. Take whatever form of that you would like. Um, but no, we are never called to use violence because that will only create violence and continue this cycle of pain in the world that we have today. Um, so do you really think that we can change things through without violence? Yes. And, you know, it may seem foolish. It may seem ridiculous. But the foolishness uh, of God is far wiser than hmm. the wisdom of man. I believe that was Paul. That was Paul, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the wisdom of God seems yeah. like foolishness to us. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesse, I, uh, I have a question for you, though. I have an answer for you. So you're telling me that pacifism is passivity. It's doing nothing in the face of violence? Nope. That is not what I think or what it really is. It's the idea of using nonviolent means to ch evoke change. Um, to simply do nothing is uh, never the option. That is never what you're called to do. And to simply do nothing is just as cruel as creating the problem. Um, we are called to bring love and peace to situations with hate and violence. Um, we are called to go out and make change through love. Um, for that is what Jesus did. Um, Jesus went out and he loved people. He cared for people. Uh, and we see the impact that that had. Um, and we are called to do the same, to create active change hmm. um, through love and peace. Uh, violence will never remove violence. Uh, only peace and love can. Um, and that's what the faith is. Because in your gut, in the moment, you're like, well, I need to use violence to solve the problem. But that's what faith's all about. Have faith that God knows better. Have faith that Jesus was right. Because that's what we're about at the end of the day. That's why we've devoted our lives to this. That we say that I believe in Jesus Christ and in him crucified. Uh, and I will follow him through all my life. Well, if you really mean that, then you have to trust him. Hmm. You have to trust that what he said is the truth. So when he says, do not harm and to love your enemies, you gotta do it you know, uh, or else you're not trusting in Jesus and you're not giving that faith. Hmm. Um, and not just trusting in him and doing it because he told us to, but doing it because you believe at the end of the day that it will make a better impact. You might not see it, but we don't have to see it. That's what faith's about. I have to believe that Jesus was right. And I will believe that Jesus is right because that's what it's all about. That is... An incredible note to end on, Jesse. I appreciate your time and your willingness to share and study this with us. And I look forward to next week as we dive into some tough questions. For all of you who listen, thank you so much. And I look forward to continuing our dialogue next week. Thank you very much.